Um, and I'm realizing that there really is a gap, a massive gap in corporate culture dealing with bonding and teamwork and how people work together. And you know, it just comes back to the, really the, the, the basic thought of that it's not really what you do, it's who you work with. Right. And it's kind of just where it ends for most people. And my, my, you know, I, can, I can synchronize it very quickly is that you know, I, everybody knows you need talent and tactics to be successful in any leadership environment, right? And this, this is very true in sports too. You know, I, I got the best players and I got the right tactics. That's only two thirds of the puzzle. You need to have a team bond. And without that, winning, however you define that word, is not possible. Welcome to this episode of Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord. So excited to have you check out this episode today. A good friend of mine, Lee Elias, is on this episode. Now, Lee is a speaker. He's a business coach. He's an author of multiple books. Uh, both Think Like a Fan, as well as his most recent book, which is called Win. And, and you know, Win, Win's super interesting. We actually get into some of the details of, of Win in our chat that you're going to listen to here in just a moment. You know, it talks about team culture and the importance of team bonding in order to find success. And that's something that Lee's going to go on to share, you know, what he's seen on the corporate side, what he's seen on the nonprofit side, and how it parallels what he has seen in coaching hockey uh, and coaching in team sports environments. So uh, Lee Elias, Lee is the uh head strategist and founder of game of game seven group and so you can check out more about lee at game7group.com the two books that i mentioned both think like a fan and win are available on amazon as well as linked through his website and so here you go here's a chat with lee elias All right, folks, thanks for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. Justin here, and I am joined on this episode by uh, a fan, uh, a, a fan and a, a thinker about fans, Lee Elias. Lee, how are you? I'm wonderful, Justin. It's really great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for, for taking the time. I am excited to talk to you uh, on a number of topics Specifically, you know, you you have a profound connection into the sports landscape. My background prior to getting into the nonprofit space was also in uh, sports and sports marketing. So we we share that that itch, that budding fandom, and an understanding of what it looks like to be a fan. So I'm excited to unpack some things with you. But you know, just at the outset, uh, I always like for people to share their story. Uh, you know, your journey into sports and then how that has taken you into consulting just so that uh, the uh, the other group thinkers that are out there can get an idea of how you've ended up in the space that you're at now. Sure. Yeah. I'll try and give the abbreviated version because the, the long version could be more than a podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah, look, it started out, uh, I was born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And it's a, it's a funny story because it kind of comes full circle to me being back here now, which I never expected. But uh yeah, I just, you know, I was a very creative kid and, uh, you know, I fell into ice hockey in my early teens and uh, uh, really excelled at the sport and was blessed enough to kind of have that take me to the collegiate level. Um, and then from the collegiate level, a very, very short stint in the uh, minor league level, 
um, in which I kind of realized, and I say this kind of humbly, that like I knew I wasn't going to make the NHL. Uh, and like kind of making the minors was kind of enough for me at that point. So I took a step into uh, coaching, which kind of had a, a, a real passion for that at the time and uh, kind of found my second career, if you will, and um, ended up working uh, with a collegiate hockey team. And uh, I, I had an act for it. Um, at the same time as that, um, I was up in northern New Jersey, uh, in Upper Montclair, working in uh, New York City for the NHL um, and the New York Rangers. And so I was kind of in the broadcast sports world along with the actual sports world. Um, and then my life changed dramatically because my, my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, had joined the U.S. Air Force in order to uh, help become a physician. So we went from uh, a hockey hotbed, if you would, in the Northeast, right. to uh, the panhandle of Florida, which is not a hockey hotbed at all. No, no, it's not. Uh, so was, I was down by, at Eglin Air Force Base by Pensacola. So they actually do have a hockey team down there, but still not a hockey area. Um, and, uh, when I was down there, I just, uh, I, I landed a job with Hearst media services. Um, and this was my first, I'll say it like this, this is a first sales job that I had that I realized I was doing sales. I found out later on that I was doing them for years in hockey and not really realizing it. But, uh, my job was to help uh, small to medium sized businesses, uh, learn how to kind of get online and use Google and search optimization and all these things. And I had a real awakening at that time because I realized that, uh, you know, that business was kind of run by uh, traditional yellow page people, if you will. Um, and their tactic for selling was, was I, would, I would call it dated. And, uh, you know, they kind of wanted us to do the hard sell and the traditional, you know, the Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross type approach to everything. And that wasn't me. So my approach was to kind of educate the, uh, the business owner on this is what the internet does. This is how it can help you. This is why it's important. Um, and then I would really take it through them step by step by step and build that kind of that kind of trust and loyalty. Um, and and very quickly I became one of the top uh, digital people in in the uh, company. Uh, so much so that they promoted me to training manager within a year. The reason I'm telling you this is because that world ends up converging with the sports world here pretty quickly. Because uh, at that time I was doing grad school for sports business uh, sports business management at Drexel University. Mm. So flash forward, Air Force calls again. You guys are going to England. <laughs> so we got on a play. We go to the United Kingdom. Uh, I'll try and keep the long story short here. There's a professional hockey league in England. It's actually very good, a lot better than people realize. Um, I got hired by a team as a, as a marketing director and as an assistant coach for skill development. And uh, we turned that team around from almost no fans to full capacity in one year and ended up winning the championship as a group. I always, I'm really big on teamwork. I mean, uh, uh, people tell me I was a big part of it, but together we kind of accomplished it. And from that time in England, we got sent back over to the United States and I, I wanted to kind of start my own thing um, and take on entrepreneurship. And four companies later, uh, you know, I, now I'm a professional speaker about building fan bases and building trust and teamwork and the importance of that. Uh, and then I also run several businesses and employ those tactics in those businesses. Now in Philadelphia, where I started, um, and that's kind of where I'm at today. Yeah, it's incredible because I think at the end of the day, you are still a coach. Like, yes, you're a speaker, uh, and and I've been fortunate to sit in an audience and and hear you talk about Think Like a Fan, which one of your books that we're going to talk about as well as when. Appreciate that here in just a moment. But but ultimately, what I love about what you do, Lee, is that you're a coach, and you know you're still coaching. It's the locker room for you has changed. <laughs> you're working with small to medium businesses and even large scale corporations or, 
you know, when you're, when you're talking to folks in the nonprofit space, you're still coaching. Absolutely. You know, what, what I found was this, is that, um, and I love the sports world, and I'm still very involved in it, but really any, any environment where a team is present is an environment where I feel like I, I can help. And that's what I started to realize, as you said, with nonprofits, for-profits, or, or any other type of organization. And I found, uh, you know, healthcare is a big one that I'm getting involved with with doctors now. Um, and I'm realizing that there really is a gap, a massive gap in corporate culture dealing with bonding and teamwork and how people work together. And, and it just comes back to the, really the, the, the basic thought of that it's not really what you do, it's who you work with. Right. And it's kind of just where it ends for most people. And my, my uh, I can I can synchronize it very quickly. Is that you know I, everybody knows you need talent and tactics to be successful in any leadership environment, right? And this this is very true in sports too. You know I I got the best players and I got the right tactics. That's only two thirds of the puzzle. You need to have a team bond, and without that, winning, however you define that word, is not possible. And I, and I tell that to every organization, regardless of the venue, you will not win. You will not succeed. If your group is not together as a really, really defined mission and that they all understand that and are pushing that out without that, it, it won't happen. And, and I always reference if anybody's played sports or been part of a winning team, again, in any environment, no one did that and was like, Hey, I really hated everybody, but we succeeded. You know, it, right. You, you have a bond with these people. You remember these people and most likely the top friends in your life were people that are involved in that space. Yeah, it's, it's so important. The team mentality and, and certainly many conversations that we have with nonprofits where, you know, the organization has evolved into a way that created silos. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, breaking those walls down so that as simple as what might be, you know, the fundraising department and the marketing department. Yeah. Thinking more like a team uh, now, you know, you've, you've got to identify no matter what sports analogy you, you want to put on it, the different roles amongst the team and have people own that space. Let's yeah. talk for a second about Think Like a Fan. Uh, and, and I want to get into to win, but Think Like a Fan, that was your, your first book that I uh, dug into, you know, about a year ago. And, you know, what I love about it is that it gives marketers and business leaders this kind of thought map on building a team culture, like what you're talking about. So why is that important in today's business environment more than ever? Sure. That's a great question. And I'll, I'll tell you that Think Like a Fan was based off my master's thesis, but it's also based off my time in Florida that I spoke about earlier and my frustrations with the kind of uh, old school marketing sales approach of just say whatever you need to say and get the, get the cash, you know? Hmm. And, and again, like in the, in the yellow page world, I can understand how that used to work, but it, the world has changed. We have unlimited access to information. We have unlimited access to each other. I think people constantly forget that everybody on the planet has a voice now and all they have to do is pick up their phone if they're lucky enough to have one to use it. Sure. Um, and that those people are consumers and you know how traditional marketing used to be linear in the sense of I'm a business owner. I have a mission or a message. I'm putting it in the newspaper. That does not exist anymore the way it did. Now you put something out there and everyone can comment on it. So consumers are, as you said earlier, I like to call them fans because that's what you're trying to build. Uh, their voice and their opinion matters. So when you cater to those people, and it's just like being in a room of people, if someone's acting fake to you, you kind of know that. If someone's full of themselves, you kind of know that. So your persona as an organization or as in a professional within that organization now is extremely important 
to creating the loyalty and the trust, which are two words I'm going to come, always come back to, with that end fan, that end consumer, that end donor, whatever world you're in, or in the sports world, that athlete. <laughs> right. Right. So, so the ability to come across as authentic as possible and, and acknowledge too that people have different versions of themselves. There, there's a speaker version of me. There's a work version of me. There's a coach version of me. They're all very, very similar, but they all, they all have like their slight little differences. Um, I might not speak to a locker room the same way I speak to a few thousand people in a, in a, in a hall. You know what I mean? Right. It's always me and people realize that. And, you know, when we look at the work we've done with my businesses or other businesses, when that is understood internally first. And that's always the first thing. You have to start internally and make everybody believe. And like you said, break down the silos. Then once that is together, you can start to spread the message to the masses and have them really buy in. And if you get a loyal, trusting person that has bought into your message, whatever it is, again, donors, fundraising, business, sports, they will start to promote it for you. And that is the most valuable asset that an organization can have in terms of reach and spreading their message. So I love that you hit on loyalty and trust. I think that those are two things that the nonprofit space in particular right now are having a bit of a existential (laughs) crisis about like, so within our space, let's talk about loyalty. Retention is really difficult. Uh, Getting the repeat customer or the repeat donor and the historic model has been you're my donor right so why aren't you giving to me again what can people do what can businesses or in in our case what do you think nonprofits can do where should they focus on building loyalty and then we'll talk about trust sure I I think the first thing is to reverse what you said is to realize that they don't belong to you it's you that belong to them Um, and I think that that's a really interesting way of looking at it is that, you know, these people have chosen to give their dollars, however they earn them to you. Uh, so what are we doing to a thank them for that? I know there's a lot of technology that helps with that, but what are we really, we really doing? Not an automated response. You know, how are we reaching out to those individual donors? And I honestly don't care if you have 10 or 10,000, right? That outreach is imperative to know that you have taken the time individually to reach out and speak to them about this is what your donation dollars are doing. This is what we're planning to do next year. What thoughts do you have on what we can do to become better? If we enable the audience, if we enable our fan base to be involved, they are way more likely to continue to donate and to be involved in the charity. If not, they're going to find one that will. And there's always one that's working harder. I mean, and that's an old sports kind of anagram, which is like, as hard as I'm working, someone's working harder. Right, so, right. I think that that has to be a relentless approach of all nonprofits of, you know, what, what, what am I doing for them? Not so much. What are they doing for me? Um, you know, um, Simon Sinek has this really, really great uh, keynote he does on a Ted talk. Yeah. People don't buy what you're selling. They're buying who you are. And I think in the nonprofit space, that's even way more true than in the not, in the, excuse me, the for-profit space. Because again, these people are volunteering money. To, to those causes. They want to be involved. I mean, it's almost an easier conversation. Oh yeah, I'd love to hear about what this, this foundation is doing with the dollars and how I can be more involved because I really believe in what you do. That's the loyalty aspect. I want to hear people saying that if I'm calling them. I am so dedicated to your cause. I'm so glad that you called me. Let's find out the next phase. That's loyalty. What's, what's not loyalty is an automated email, as I said, 
hey, it's been a year. Do you want to donate again? Like, what, what is authentic about that? How is that, how is that any different from my bank sending me a statement? You know, that, that's really the change that needs to be made, in my opinion. No, I, 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 I love and I respect that. And, you know, this is where I think back to my time working in the sports landscape. And, uh, you know, you, you worked in, um, in semi-professional and professional hockey. I had the opportunity to work for a number of years in professional soccer. And, yeah, and FC Dallas, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so you've got, so soccer fans and hockey fans, there are, there's a high crossover of intensity and passion and, you know, people can have their opinions. I think that soccer fans and hockey fans are the two most rabid fan bases on the planet. The way that they respond and the passion that they bring to being not just at a game, but to identifying with their team is unparalleled in, in my perspective. And so there is a strong connection there to loyal donors because of what you just said uh, in, in the for-profit space, we vote with our wallet by aligning ourselves with brands. And so you might be, you know, an Apple guy or an Android guy, or you might, you know, identify with a particular type of coffee or whatever it is. But whenever it talks about you putting your heart into something, that's most people, most loyal donors connection to philanthropy is putting their heart and their heart is uh, measured by the time and the money that they're giving to an organization. So when you talk about loyalty, nonprofits have this tremendous opportunity to build and steward and fuel loyalty for their very rapid fan base. Uh, that That is challenging to our marketing strategies because in marketing, we, we try to look for efficiencies. And so you talk about automation. How do you balance the use of automation versus fostering intense loyalty, which feels like it's less automation and more personal time effort from the organization in outreach? It's a great question. And I'll tell you the, the trick that I found. One is, I'll give you a sports analogy. It'll be, it'll be even easier. We're going to live in sports analogies the whole time you and I talk. I promise you. Yeah. In my world, people love hearing about sports stuff anyway. So, <laughs> right, right. What I'll tell you is this: is is that the mistake is thinking that only statistics are what you need to succeed. All right, and what happens is it's it's a it's a it happens in sports too. We we go so far into the analytics and the data. And again, if anyone follows sports, you know that everyone does this now: baseball, hockey, football. Everyone looks at data, data, data. And I'm going to say this right off the bat: data is extremely important. What is it? Ninety nine percent of what we're doing. Because here's the truth, when you're dealing with human beings, there's always a variance with that. Everyone's got a different personality. Everyone's doing differently each day. So when I work with sports teams, or I always say businesses too, we always tell them the data is extremely important, but you have to motivate the people on the team as well. Yeah. What I bring out in sports teams is maximum performance. And when you, when you apply that to a, a base of an organization that's not playing sports, you know, what is maximum performance? How do you achieve that? Well, one, and I'm kind of going full circle here, the person has to trust you in, in what you're doing. There's no data that builds trust. You know, if anything, data builds negativity if it's not good data, right? So building that trust, what is that worth in data? You know what I mean? Two is motivation. What motivates you as an athlete, as a business person, as a donor? Why are you donating? It's very easy to blend. Well, these many these donors donate because of this. Everyone's doing it for a different reason, whether it's personal or they just feel like they want to be part of the cause. 
that's the stuff that's being ignored. And the truth is it's being ignored because it's hard. And we're, we're also now in a position where we're all behind screens. We're talking less and less in person. So that's an aspect of almost the old world that needs to come back. And again, just to kind of finally answer the question, it's, it's, it's how much are we putting into data, which really creates automation. It's very easy to say, this guy did three to five years, this person did this, this amount, they get this email. That's the easy way to do it. And what I'm trying to say is that you can't just do it the easy way if you want to see full results. Okay, and, and, and honestly, what's a phone call cost? What is that personal communication to shut someone, you said it, their heart. That's, that's a, a thing where people kind of roll their eyes when I say that sometimes, but the truth is this, when you, you know, you, you're dealing with words like love and trust and loyalty and passion, we shouldn't shy away from that. We got to own that. And, and we're kind of taught not to do that. And I find that the people that really tap into those emotions, and I don't mean that in like a dramatic way, but just are able to talk about that comfortably. That's the connection that builds loyalty for decades, not just the next year. Nobody wants to be a, a, a dollar sign, especially in the nonprofit world. This episode of Group Thinkers is brought to you by Holidays to the Myth and Reality behind giving in December 2018. Did you know that one in five donors reported giving less to nonprofits last December? I know that for organizations that we work with, things were great through November, even maybe the first week of December. And then compared to what we had traditionally seen in the last three weeks of December, things started to dry up. I'm sure I wasn't the only one who noticed a sudden drop in donations compared to what we are used to with December. So some questions started to pop up into the nonprofit marketing either. Was it the tax laws? Was it the economy? Was it the government shutdown? Well, we decided to find answers from the donor's perspective. So RKD Group partnered with McQueen, Mackin and Associates to conduct a unique study speaking directly to donors to find out why giving dropped so drastically last December. You can download the full white paper at givingindecember.com find out exactly what donors had to say about their change in giving behavior and use that to build your strategies going into year end 2019. So head over to givingindecember.com, download the white paper. And now back to group thinkers. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a, an episode in season one of Group Thinkers where I sit down with Bernard Ross, who's from the management center over there in the UK, and we're talking about behavioral economics. And Bernard has this uh, unbelievable perspective on uh, neuroscience and marketing. And so he details the rational versus the irrational, or another way to put it is the logical versus the illogical. And to your point, the rational has its place. Yeah. And for the 99% of what we do, it needs to be data-driven because that can give us logical proof. Absolutely. What we have to balance is the irrational. And when you think about fans, you think about hockey fans or soccer fans, there's a large amount of their passion that is frankly irrational, but it's their passion. It's their heart. There's a large amount of it that may be illogical of continuing to root for someone or wear, you know, their kit and show up at a game and be uh, pouring your heart out the same way that a donor may 
continue to strive and push your mission and pour their heart out for your mission that may at times feel illogical, but it's about their heart. So you got to find a way to balance those two, which is difficult for us as marketers. Absolutely. Now that's, that's why conversations are so important, right? It's right. That's why reaching out is so important. I mean, if you look at any NHL and I'm sure in, in football or soccer, as we call it. <laughs> right, right. Um, no, I'm sure, uh, the, the fan outreach department is one that I was am very intrigued by it because they're the ones having the conversations with the fan base. You know, I'll give you an example real quick. You know, the Philadelphia Flyers, my hometown team, have a really bad season and their fan outreach has not been perfect. I mean, they're doing a lot of promotions that don't make a lot of sense when the team is doing bad because this city has a pretty smart fan base. The team has been around for 45 years. So, you know, they're missing the mark and the team doesn't have an identity. And you know what? People are not going to games anymore. Uh, the attendance mm. is way down. So th they can have all that data about what drives people to come to games, but the truth is is that the, these fans want to connect with their team again, and the team is not being able to do that. And it has nothing to do with winning or losing um, most of the time. You know, I always say that winning always helps bring people in the building. Like, I'll never deny that, but losing does not mean you can't bring people in. Um, and, you know, when you apply that to the business world, it, it gives you some pretty interesting data as well. Uh, people want a connection. You know, the passion for sports teams and making you a fan can be recreated anywhere. You know, the, uh, the side of applying, applying this into the business landscape and, and certainly into nonprofit marketing, there's so much about retention. There's so much about stewardship and a decline in loyalty many times means that you may have lost the other word that you use, which is trust. Yeah. And so considering fans have varying levels of loyalty, right? So some are the diehards and some are fair weather. We're talking donors, about yeah. right? Donors have varying levels of loyalty. Some are the, uh, the apostles for your mission and some are, you know, maybe I donated to a certain cause because I got a, I've got a buddy that was running in a 5K. And so I don't have a connection to the cause. I have a connection to the person that has the connection to the cause. So my affinity, my loyalty is, is less so. How does an organization, how do you coach them on structuring marketing techniques to build trust, knowing that you have these different personas or levels of loyalty of their customer or donor base? Yeah, well, one is to identify exactly what you said, you know, the different types of donors in terms of their mentality and their passion for donating, all right? And, and uh, you and I both know there's plenty of technologies out there that will actually help you with, with data to identify how serious of a donor someone is. At least you can start to uh, quantify each person or each donor by their motivation, right? Right. You got to get that data first. The second thing is very simple. Do not send everyone the same message. <laughs> right. If you have a very passionate donor, that person is one message. If you have a fair weather donor, that is another message. And you have to be very, very careful about what you're saying. Because if you treat a fair weather donor like you're very passionate, very someone in the cause, that could actually scare them away. Like, I don't want to be that deep into this. You know, I'm just trying to help a friend out. Right. So I, I, I'm not going to dare to give examples of different types of messaging in that space because it's going to change from every single organization. But it's just knowing that, you have to be able to identify what kind of motivation each person's bringing to the table. And that's a very big part of loyalty and then catering to that motivation and, and being very understanding of it. I know that, you know, you're doing this because your friend 
was involved in this. Uh, let me tell you about the 5,000 other people in the world that are involved in this too and how your donation also helps them. You know, that, that, that's motivating to me, right? Now, if, if you're a diehard donor, you know, that might be a phone call or, or, or something else, but really diving into like, let me show you everything that we're doing because I know you love this cause and then asking for feedback. What, what, what can we hear from you? What can you tell us about what, what you'd like to see from us this coming year? That, you want to hear that from your passionate donors. Right? Because they're knowledgeable. They're in, in the game, right? They understand what's going on. Uh, Fairweather donor might not know that, or even just the, the one-time donor. Who, you, know, you definitely want to try and get them back, but understanding you're not, you should not talk to a one-time donor and send them the same message that you're sending a passionate donor. So understanding them, uh, grouping them, and then understanding that the messages have to be different, and it's not a one-time thing. That's an all-the-time thing. Yeah, and so so much of what you're getting at comes from the strategic planning and an organization's ability to effectively strategically plan going into a campaign or going into a year, whatever whatever cycle it is for their marketing window. Uh, yeah. A key part of that strategic planning, uh, you know, I'm I'm moved by uh, some of the things that that you say in one of your in your other book, Win, uh, which talks about team culture and the importance of of bonding and team bonding to find success. Why is team bonding so important for success in marketing? Yeah. And how, how do you see that working within the confines of, uh, you know, an office like a, a nonprofit? Sure, yeah. And, and I get this question all the time and I love it, you know. And it's, again, I'll go back to the beginning of any team environment, any space where people are working together is a candidate for this type of thinking, right? So number one is this, if the people inside your organization don't fully have an understanding or belief or the passion that you're looking for to create your donors, how are they going to give that to your donors? All right, it actually goes back to a simpler statement of if you don't love yourself, how can you love anybody else? Mm -hmm. You can't give somebody something you don't have. And I told you before, I'm gonna use words like love because mm -hmm. there's a level of that involved in this whether people wanna admit that or not. So the first thing we have to do in these situations is walk into a group and situation, talk to the organizational leader, talk to the employees, talk to everybody in the room, and really get them on the same page and believing in exactly what it is that they're doing. Um, and when I walk into, and, and again, I got to say this, it's sports teams, businesses, nonprofits, it's everywhere. When I walk in, I'll, I'll usually ask two or three questions, right? And, and if, if you want to be a guinea pig, I can do them on, the, on this podcast here just to kind of play around. Let's go for it. Yeah, let's just have some fun. So the first question I always ask, uh, it's usually the person in charge is, uh, can you define the word trust without using trust in the definition? Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. It's not an easy question, yet it is the most fundamental foundation to relationships. Right? And, and again, it's not easy to answer, Right. Did you want to take a stab at it? I get. I don't. I don't want to put you on the spot. No, 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 no. Let's. I mean, let's let's play this out, right? So, uh, so I'm I'm processing. Define trust without using trust. It is an unbridled belief in the thing that you're referring to. Sure, and and each other, right? Right. And right. Belief that the person next to you is also going to do what you're doing as hard as you're doing, right? Yes. You're relying on somebody else. And, yes. Um, that's actually not a bad stab at it at all. You give yes. Nailed it. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say John, just because, you know, the Philly thing. <laughs> I was, I, I was going to say the unbridled belief in yeah, John. I, I, I should start referring to this podcast as John now. 
Doing that, John. Listen, it's rare that somebody in Dallas and somebody in Philly can line up so well, but we're, we're making it work. We're making it work. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. What's your new podcast, Johnny with Justin? Johnny with Justin, yeah. No, so th- that's the first question I answer. And, and, and the truth is this. There's really two things I look for. Is I want to hear people say that reliance on each other, but also, like you said, the dedication to the, to the task at hand. And the truth is this. Uh, we all have different definitions of that word. Okay. Uh, for example, I've worked with inner city youth. Their definition of trust is completely different than someone who doesn't live in the inner city. Right. Okay? So when we come into a group environment, we all have somewhat different understandings of that word or no understanding of that word. Yet we have no communal understanding of what it means to the group. Right. That's the first thing you have to establish. This is what trust means to this team. And when I say team, I mean that in every type of team there is. Establish it because trust again is the foundation of every relationship you have, right? And there's also levels to trust, right? I tell people all the time, I trust the postman's going to bring my mail. I don't necessarily trust him with my kids, right? right? And that's not an insult to him. I don't know the guy, right? So it's a fundamental aspect that we don't focus on whatsoever or define. So that's the first thing I do, right? The second question I ask is, you know, you have a team of people that work with you. Do you know what motivates each individual person that you work with? I hope that I do. Right. I, I would hope so too. Um, but I'll tell you what, I get a lot of no's on that question. <laughs> it's like, no. And then I follow that up with, well, then how are you motivating the people that you work with? Exactly. Well, and nine times out of 10, it's, well, I motivate them this way. And I said, that's how you're motivated. How are they motivated? In sports, players are motivated by lots of different things. Mm-hmm. In work, lots of different things. You should know who's motivated by money, by family, by passion for the cause, because then you'll be a better effective leader, right? Those are the first two things that I start with of like 10 things. Right. And then the last thing is I go, what's your mission here? And it's funny. I always use the sports. I always get back. Well, to win, we want to win. Okay. Yeah. Everyone wants to do that. Everyone wants to win. What's your mission here? What are you? What are you doing here? Right. I, you, you remember from when I was at Neo Summit, I had said that, you know, I have a company called Hockey Wraparound. Hockey Wraparound's mission is to put a hockey wraparound on every hockey stick in the world. Right. And everyone at my company will tell you that from the top to the bottom. We have a very clear trust and understanding of mission at hand. Yes. Unify. Now, can you imagine how powerful a team or a group of individuals is when they have defined trust, they know what motivates each other, and then they know exactly what their mission is? And then now you're pushing that out to the masses, all right? Most of the time when I walk into a place, and and this goes back to the silos that you spoke about, the departments have their goals. No one's really sure of what the overall goal is. Some people might not even know other people within the the company. Again, depending on size, sometimes that's understandable. But it's like you have to know, like, who you're working with. What are we doing? Why are we doing this together? And then when it comes to sports, and, and this is true, it's knowing the person next to you is going to do everything they can for you. And that's not something you just create and leave. Right. A big part of this team mentality is it's actually somewhat easy to build up the team. It's to nurture it throughout a season or a year or a fiscal year. That's the hard part because things happen in life. Yeah. Right? And things happen where people have arguments. You know, if there's an argument at work, are, are you equipped mentally to help them through that as a leader? Is, is the team equipped? Do you understand how communication needs to work within the organization. Do people know what the word accountability means, right? And what, what it means to be accountable to, to, to the task at hand. And there's levels to accountability. I could go on that one all day. From, there's there's yeah. times that we've seen organizations that have 
they've moved the needle on this and certainly on on your last point that that shared accountability uh the band of brothers mentality being in the bunker together and and i've found that far too often that occurs in the moment of need it is to your point so difficult to nurture and to make it a proactive approach to build to steward culture within a team you're also focused on your own missions but you know you think about in 2017 whenever we had three consecutive hurricanes of the course of you know a number of weeks hit uh hit the the u.s there were nonprofits that banded together and from the marketing to the communications to the fundraising staff, for the first time, they were aligned on mission, on what their mission was. They were aligned on expectations. They had a common goal. And that doesn't mean that everyone's doing the same thing, but there were, there were these breakthroughs that came from that. And so focusing on making it a priority to foster this proactively as opposed to waiting and responding in the wake of disaster or disaster relief, right? That's such a difficult thing, but it's a challenge to all leaders and leaders of nonprofits that are tuned into group thinkers to, to stew on how do we do this proactively within our organization? Absolutely. It should not take a national disaster or, or natural disaster to bring people together. And, you know, it's like, again, I'm going to go back to sports again, but I always tell teams that you don't have to wait for a losing streak or a winning streak to figure this out. In fact, you should be preparing. You know, I always say to coaches, your team is weakest during a losing streak and a winning streak. You are the most vulnerable during those two things, anything that's a streak, right? Because there's only one direction to go from each side of those things. And a lot of what I do with, with groups is kind of prep them for that. Like, okay, what happens if we have a problem in this situation? How do we respond to that as a group? I train them to do that so that right. it's not, uh, you know, it, it, the fallout of waiting for natural disasters. When it happens, we already know what we can do, right? And again, when it, when it, when it comes to the, the, the natural disaster, like you said, the three hurricanes, which is horrible, what that also tells you is people actually do want to be together, you know? That's right. one of those things that, you know, our, our society is so polarized by everything, whether it's this brand versus that brand, Coke versus Pepsi, my sports team, your sports team, my politics, your politics. It doesn't matter. Everybody's picking sides. And the truth is everyone really just wants to be part of a group. That's actually why they're picking sides. And, and the, the trick is not to say, hey, let's pick sides against each other. It's we're all on the same team. And the, the side that we're on is to accomplish tackling this cause or hitting this sales goal or winning this championship. We don't need internal division to make that happen. And that's, so, that's why nurturing that bond is so important and choosing who's involved in the bond. Like, well, here's a quick, quick example of, of how quickly this can be broken because bonds are very delicate. Uh, as, and you know what? You can use it, like you said, the organizations came together and then they probably fell right apart because bonds are extremely delicate. One person, which in sports we would call the cancer, you know, they can tear the whole thing down if you're not careful. Yeah. You know, if the bond is strong enough, I find that that person actually is not allowed to come into the inner circle, if you will. You know, that's another reason to create a really strong bond. And if you have a poor person or a poor leader, the people in the bond simply will not accept it. And they'll say, this is not what we want. This is what we want. That's a very powerful thing as well. And it's, it's such good stuff. And this is such crucial information and, and, you know, just ingredients that nonprofit leaders need to, you know, put into their own kind of mental gumbo and let it stew and sit and, and think about for the, inside the walls of their organization and how that affects 
how they create marketing strategies to go outside the walls of their organization. And, and obviously people can pick up, you know, both think like a fan and win on Amazon and, and in other places. But, but Lee, uh, just as we wrap, how can people connect with you online? Yeah, sure. Uh, my website's game7group.com. That's all spelled out. There's no numbers in it. Um, I'm also super active on social media at uh, Lee MJ Elias on almost every platform. Uh, but uh, sometimes that's the best way. I, I, I'm preaching here about interpersonal communication. I love it when people message me on LinkedIn or anywhere just to have a conversation. I, you know, that's kind of how we, we started talking. Yeah, it's totally it. And yeah, I, like I, I never shy away. If someone messages me, I message them back. But uh, yeah, those are, those are usually the methods. Just kind of find me by my name and you, again, game7group.com or uh, Liam J. Elias. And uh, I'm always happy to speak to anybody, uh, even if it's just to quick advice. Very cool. Well, well, Lee, certainly appreciate you spending time with us today on Group Thinkers. And uh, this is, like I said, this is such important stuff. I know that we'll be having conversations uh, on social media as people tune in and talk about this. And we'll, we look forward to continuing there. But until then, man, thanks for the time today. No, Justin, thanks so much. I love what you're doing. I think this is a, a phenomenal podcast and I'm looking forward to listening to everybody else. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for the time. So there's the chat with Lee Elias from Game 7 Group. Such a wonderful guy and, and you know, um, he and I see eye to eye on, on many, many aspects of this and how team is so crucial to what we do in the nonprofit space and how we work together across departments and even building the relationship between organization and donors so that there is that common element of trust. Just something that struck me in the conversation is the establishment of trust and and trust being the foundation and how the definition of trust varies in group environments. And, And I love the exercise that Lee started with of asking for, you know, how does, uh, how do you define trust without using the word trust in the definition? That's, it's a complicated question, complicated exercise. I think I did pretty well. Uh, I think I did pretty well on defining it. I think you could tell that I stumbled whenever I got to the word thing, but that's, that's a, that's a thing anyway. So, but anyway, that, you know, I, I love the conversation about building trust. And I think that's so important. It, it just makes me reflect on the uh, the research project that you heard about halfway through uh, the podcast during the kind of promo break uh, that RKD Group and McQueen Mackin and Associates put together the holidays study about giving in December 2018, looking at what in the world happened uh, during that time frame. And trust is this really interesting part of connection and where we saw that connection had changed in December 2018. So the, the use of trust in a team environment is crucial to building loyalty. Loyalty is what's going to overcome any of those aspects of a waning um, connection that you may have with your donors. So there you go. Lee Elias. Hey, don't forget, you can hit us up on uh, social media, uh, on both Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the above. Look for us at Group Thinkers. Don't forget to throw a follow to at RKD Group. And be sure to check out Lee's books, uh, Think Like a Fan, as well as Win. And you don't have to go in that order. You can pick up Win, 
et cetera. You could also bring Lee into your office if you're looking at an aspect of doing some sort of organizational training, communication training, team building environments. Uh, he's based on the East Coast, but he travels enough. He's, he's available to, to go anywhere uh, to do team building activities. And I would just highly suggest you consider that uh, if you're looking at ways to make an impact on your team in this year. So that's it for this episode. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out another episode. You can always find us at uh, rkdgroup.com slash podcast. You can find all the episodes of Group Thinkers in your podcast app, no matter which one you listen to us on. And appreciate you hanging out today. We'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks goes out to the production team, including Ryan Mellinger, as well as our content marketing team, Suzanne, Holly, and Carly for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.